Well, holy shit, I actually managed to do it. After procrastinating for ages, I finally managed to produce an audiobook version of the Lunatic Fringe book. It's currently available on all Amazon sites, audible.com, and shortly on iTunes. And if you're the page-turning type, it's also, of course, still available in Kindle form, paperback, and uh, hardback on Amazon. Ten hours and ten years worth of Blue Skies Magazine's articles, all available to you right fucking now, including a few author's notes and even an apology or two. Enjoy. In a world... Mate, hold up. We said we're done with the serious intros. Who's it? Well, we did. I don't remember that. Well, I said it, and you're me, so, you know. Well, I don't care. In a world... Uh, hey, I told you. We're keeping it light. You do it on your own, then. Well, technically, I already am, so... Anyway, fuck yeah, pure wild flight. Get it down, ya. How good? Visit nzaerosports.com. I get to do the next one. Well, obviously, you moron, we both do. Of course. I absolutely love the NZ Aerosports business model. I mean, come on. One glance at an Icarus fuck yeah sticker and you know it lines up perfectly with the fucking pilot mentality. But outside their wonderful use of colorful language and a great company vibe, there's a long list of reasons to say NZ Aerosports fuck yeah. NZ Aerosports blows me away right out of the gate as a canopy manufacturer with a bold offer. They give you 10 jumps on your brand new nylon to decide if you want to keep it swap it out, or even return it for a refund. I mean, seriously, how incredible is that? That's like getting halfway through a prom and deciding you prefer the slightly racier date that goes down faster. Seriously, they do that. If you're not madly in love with your new canopy after 10 jumps, they'll let you swap it out for another size or model, or even get your money back. And the range of canopies they've got? Man, they've got a style canopy to fit every jumper and every situation with models you know and trust like the Sapphire 3, the perfect choice for the beginner or intermediate canopy pilot, the Crossfire 3 when you're ready to kick it up that elliptical notch, the JFX 2 if you're looking to up your new swoop game, the Leia as the workhorse and dirt water dirt beast, or the Petra. The Petra cranks out crazy power and is nothing short of a record breaker. But hey, it's not always about speed either. Take the Kraken. Built as a low pack volume canopy specifically with wingsuiting in mind, she gives you all the performance you're looking for with the reliability you need that'll have you itching for that next formation, rodeo, or puffy cloud. So, the equipment is top-of-the-line kick-ass stuff, as you already know, but how about the team? Well, the customer service gang is there to sort you out whenever you need them. Maddie and Beto are always there to help with Jen holding the reins. They're available for you at sales at nzaerosports.com, and they've got a kick-ass live chat tool on the website if you're wanting to hit someone up right away. These are the crew you're going to want to talk to to get those custom orders in. With the stock nylon, once you know what you want, they'll have that shit on a FedEx truck as soon as the credit card machine says approved and get you in the air in no time. For your custom orders, you'll be able to get a time frame for building and shipping when you design it, so get to it. And demos. They've got demos in the U.S. available from their partner Rock Sky Market. 
The whole U.S. demo fleet is there with Sapphire 3, Crossfire 3, Kraken, JFX2, and Leia canopies in a range of sizes. They also offer student and tandem demos in the U.S. Bottom line, every step of the way, NZ Aerosports is there to get you what you need, and I personally couldn't be happier to be teamed up with them here on Lunatic Fringe. And now, time to get started with Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, brought to you proudly by NZ Aerosports. Fuck yeah! Coming straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go! Back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, and one I've been trying to get to join me for quite some time now, so straight into it. Tell me, who the fuck are you, and what do you do? My name is Matt Lajeunesse. Uh, skydivers probably know me as Katie Hansen's husband or Will's little brother. <laughs> um, yeah, and I uh, live in Moab, Utah. I'm currently running tandem-based Moab, and uh, I like to adventure and have fun. Nice. I love that uh, you're straight up caught to the fact that you're either Katie's husband <laughs> or Will's younger brother. That's pretty good. I'm going to own that real quick. Right? Well, I actually had the pleasure of uh, having Will on the podcast a couple of times. Um, and it was such a fun catch up because he and I shared such a unique time in my life and a unique time in my time in the sport that uh, um, to hear it from someone else's perspective was fucking fantastic. Yeah, I assume you're talking about the early Krofsky's days, and I think that was a unique time in many skydivers. Right? I mean, it was uh, uh, it was next level in skydiving for sure. It it, uh, um, it was nothing that I had ever experienced before. That's for sure. Uh, so bef- this is about you, not me, though. So I want you to uh, let everybody in on how you got started in not necessarily um, skydiving, but anything that would be considered extreme. Cool. I guess um, I was always drawn towards the outdoors, uh, nature, um, just adventuring outside. And uh, that, that was just a constant in my life from the time I was young. Um, as soon as I hit 18, I started traveling um, for a number of years. I was just kind of in a car going from national park to national park, checking out beautiful places, backpacking, hiking, stuff like that. Um, right there in the middle of that phase, I had a friend approach me and uh, convinced me to go skydiving for his birthday. Having a younger brother that was already into skydiving at Krosky's, um, the door was open for me. I went once and really I got curious about uh, skydiving after my first tandem. I didn't feel addicted or anything like that. It was just like, huh, that was interesting. I think I could do that. Hmm. And uh, I signed up to do the class, thought I was going to do one jump by myself and say, cool, I did a skydive. And at that point, I had more information, more curiosity, and more desire to stick with it. And that's kind of my intro to skydiving. Now, do you think that uh, it was the difference between just being on a joyride in a tandem and being responsible for shit that may have tipped the balance as well? Um, Yeah, absolutely. Um, I forget who made the analogy once, but someone said that they felt like they sat in the passenger seat of a race car um, on a tandem skydive. And then said they raced the car. They're like, I didn't race the car. You know, they wanted to take the driver's seat. And uh, I thought that was a pretty good analogy. That's the way I felt. Um, so once you get that control, once you get your, you know, your hands on the wheel, it's like, yeah, I need to do more of this. Yeah, for sure. Now, did you make that first jump in cross keys? I did. Yeah. I think you and I just missed each other, just like in Dubai. I'm pretty sure that's the way it happened. I may have even done my first tandem while you were still there. Not sure. 
But um, when what year yeah, did you make your what year did you make Two, your first jump? Two thousand five. So I was there. Yeah, yeah, my first tandem, and then two thousand six, like right as spring weather rolled around, I was in ASF, and uh, yeah. Now, so how was it going out and and making that first jump at a drop zone where your younger brother was very well established in one of the wildest scenes skydiving ever had? Um, I definitely had. I was young and prideful, so I'd always been the big brother and uh, kind of the one that was more athletic and just, yeah, I was, yeah. (laughs) And I had a yeah healthy dose of like here's your pride you know like just humble pie, sure. and uh, yeah my AFF I guess I could say no but something like this he taught it my younger brother who I tortured for twenty years um, I think it was about forty five minutes and it went these are your handles pull them in this order these are your handles pull them in this order these are your handles pull them in this order if you fuck this up I'm gonna be so pissed off let's go skydiving. <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> yeah, we were skydiving. I I may have embellished that lightly, but that that was definitely the speech. Maybe it was two hours, not forty five minutes. I remember Cruzy stopping me on one of my jumps and asking me a fairly simple question that I had no answer to. And he's like, "Who the hell did your ASF?" And I was like, "Oh, my little brother." He's like, "Who's your little brother?" I was like, "Will." And he just kind of put his hand on his forehead. He's like, "Come with me, man." <laughs> It really was. I mean, uh, I've talked about it so many times on the podcast with so many different people. It really was just next level at that drop zone. We were cranking out jumps at such an incredible level and such incredible numbers. And the AFF was going so strong that, I mean, that none of that surprises me even a little bit. Also knowing your brother from back then. (laughs) It was an incredible place. Um, Yeah. I, I still consider that like my favorite drop zone. It's still awesome to go back there. It's still got good vibes, but uh, just the memories alone from that place were just too good to. Oh yeah, uh, man. When, when I'm an old man and when I'm an old man and the Alzheimer's kicks in, when it comes to skydiving, the only memories that I need to relive are the ones at cross keys. <laughs> it's just so well, and they're all, they're all pretty fuzzy because cross keys was quite the time. <laughs> Yeah, we talked a bit about jumping, but there was a lot of other stuff going on there. As oh, well. yeah, man. Yeah. Now, so it became kind of a family affair, though, for you guys, too, because your mom came out and jumped as well. Correct. Yeah, I think my mom, uh, my mom had somewhere around 230 skydives before I made a tandem skydive. Um, so when I say my little brother was skydiving, yeah, I should really say my little brother and my mother were skydiving. Um, so that door was wide open for me. I felt like, heck, they, those guys have been doing it for a couple of years. Like, let's go. Um, we, so I think that eased some of the anxiety for me, too. Um, I've watched any number of who knows how many people approach skydiving. And I know there's anxiety. But, like, when you see two close family members, uh, you know, get through it, you're like, all right, I can do this. I can do sure. this. Well, and, I mean, it had to be – I think it was – I came out there in the end of 2003, 2004, and I knew Will, obviously, because we worked together every day in one degree to one degree or another. Uh, But I met your mom somewhere along the lines as well and had no idea that they were mother and son because your mother was her like she was her own entity in the drop zone. She had her own people that she hung out with and she was really fucking fun. And then I finally put the pieces together and went, holy shit. Oh, my God. What I thought was the coolest thing in the world. It is cool. It's definitely a a cool 
funny, almost unbelievable time to look back on at this point. I mean, yeah, we're coming up on 20 years ago. I don't know how that's possible, but um, yeah, I mean, that's just super appreciative that we got to share that. Sure. No, we all had different, you know, my mom had her group and my brother, again, he was super su- successful at that time at what he was doing. And I was just, you know, kind of brand new to it all. So I was in my own world. So it's, it's, uh, we all have our own just, uh, perspectives of that time. Which is really cool in that each of you was kind of living your own life within that little, um, universe and and i mean let's face it cross keys at the time was its own little universe i mean we all lived and existed in just that bubble for quite some time now you 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 go out and you do your first jump with um a brief instruction and clearly (laughs) you you made it through and got your license but when did skydiving really take over was it immediate or was it something that you came to gradually you know um for me I didn't think I was going to stick with skydiving. I liked skydiving, thought it was cool, was having fun. But really, in that first A license period, those first 25 jumps, I had talked to a number of uh, base jumpers. And they started telling me about places they had been, France, Switzerland, Yosemite Valley, Moab. Um, Those are all places I had traveled at that time, unrelated to skydiving or base jumping. And so, like, my eyebrow went up. I was like, wait, you guys jump there? You base jump there? You guys are base jumpers. At that point, I hardly knew what base jumping was. Um, basically, what I thought of base jumping was, you must be absolutely out of your mind, insane, kamikaze, just like the loosest, nuttiest person on the planet, like hardly would want to have a conversation with you. But that wasn't the people that I I met. And um, I started, started saying, hey, I've been there. Hey, I love those places. And they're like, oh, yeah, we like to hike. We like to jump. And uh, I saw a lot of parallels in uh, the character, the way they thought. Um, Rob Stanley was one of those guys. Me, me. And <laughs> yeah, there you go. Me. Um, yeah. Um, anyway, I uh, so once once I realized that these people were more sane than I than I would have expected, and they were going to places I was passionate about, that really caught my attention. Mm. And then I was like, wow, I can bring this skydiving stuff to that environment. That's like a reality to me. And, you know, as soon as I asked that question, they kind of laughed at me and said, yeah, right. Like, here's what you have to do. And I was like, no, guys, for real, what do I have to do? And my brother told me, he's like, once you have 300 skydives, we'll talk about base jumping. So I ripped out 333 skydives in my first year, um, 11 months. And I uh, was like, hey, I've got, you know, I've got the jump numbers. Here's my logbook. Here's, you know, what I've been doing. Um, and yeah, we, we kind of uh, agreed that there was some stuff to do, mostly parachute stuff. But we booked tickets to uh, Twin Falls. Um, I worked on some canopy skills. And I went out there in that uh, August of the next summer, 2007, and uh, was base jumping. Wow. Um, I mean, uh, I I like that you say you thought uh, base jumpers clearly must be out of their fucking minds and, and that you discovered otherwise. It was always to my dismay that these people were normal well-adjusted sane human beings because I wanted them to be batshit crazy because if they were, (laughs) if they were just normal people, that meant that I could go do it too. And I've never been a base jumper (laughs) and it it always made me nervous. Base jumping was never going to be my thing, which is great, but I wanted you guys to be fucking nuts because then I could go, Oh yeah, I'm not fucking crazy. So I'm not going to do that kind of thing. 
And then you guys just completely blew my uh, my idea of it out of the water when y'all turned out to be well-adjusted, relatively normal human beings. Well, at least within the skydive, you know, community. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, true, true, In true, true. subset of humans, we're still normal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, no, that's a, that's a very good point. So that first base jump, I'm guessing, pretty much derailed whatever plan for life you had, because, I mean you are well known as an avid base jumper to say the least. Yeah. Um, once I got my hands on it, once it was in my control and I experienced it, um, I never stopped. That yeah. was, that was just all, um, it was a all passion for me. That was just, I, I love to be outdoors. I love to explore. And um, I loved, especially in the early phases, like a young adult, it really taught me about myself and how to control my mind. Mm. And those were things I very much needed at that uh, age and uh, time. Um, so yeah, I, I, I took a lot from base jumping, loved it and uh, never really slowed down. Now um, you started out by that, that first jump at twin falls um, and obviously have continued on forever. How much were you skydiving at that time and had, had, did you start putting skydiving to use to really start to hone the skills you'd take to base jumping? Um, yes, I kept skydiving, um, especially on the East Coast. It was a summer thing. I was uh, bartending in the winters and then sleeping in the back of my truck in the Cross Keys parking lot. Um, I was having the time of my life. Basically, my, again, my brother's like, listen, if you want me to jump with you, you better learn to free fly. You know, very will thing to say at that time. Right. So <laughs> that, was, um, that was what I focused on at that time for sure. And then uh, as soon as I graduated college, I moved out to Boulder, Colorado. And uh, being a school teacher, didn't have a ton of money. Um, so fun jumping was a lot more difficult, but I kept working on drop zones. I became a packer mm. for a number of years. And uh, that kept me jumping, kept me skydiving, kept me making money, kept me learning. And um, I really just used that, uh, that time to just throw myself at base. Mm. Um, pretty much every dollar I had, every minute I had was, uh, yeah, was put towards figuring out my next space jump. So now your, your, uh, real world world persona was as a teacher, you said? Yeah. Once upon a time. Um, yep. I was a fifth grade school teacher, uh, really? fifth grade school. Uh, yeah. That's the reaction I get more often than not. I, fucking I was love a fifth it. grade school teacher, um, in Boulder, Colorado for a number of years. So I'd be teaching 10 year olds and then, uh, jumping up buildings in Denver, then working at mile high, having some of the loosest moments of my life all at once. <laughs> Which... And it was so funny because just like your reaction at the time, people would be like, how is, what is going on? <laughs> like <laughs> this guy. And uh, I don't know. I, I kind of felt like it was the same. Like, I don't know. Teaching fifth graders is kind of like hanging out with skydivers. <laughs> it's uh, There's not a lot of difference. Adults. Yeah, yeah there's really not. No, no, no. In fact, I'd say the maturity level, you flip a coin to see which one's more mature for sure. Absolutely. It's it's wild though, and, and I've said it a million times on the podcast. It's fantastic to hear about the backgrounds people have outside of the, the respective sport. Um, and it always blows me away um how varied the backgrounds are. And I always wonder in that other life, what the reactions of, of 
I hate to say normal, but I'm going to say normal people would think of the base jumping and skydiving and all that. Did you ever have any backlash as a teacher who also went and jumped off buildings and did all this crazy shit? You know, um, I did my best to approach it professionally. So I wasn't advertising quite what I, you know, maybe illegal jumps in Denver or something like that. Um, but all the, um, yeah, all of my coworkers knew I was a skydiver, base jumper, some of the parents, some of the students, uh, we did demos into the elementary school that I worked at. That's never, <laughs> that will, I'll never beat that rock star moment of landing in front of a bunch of 10 year olds that you teach, you know? Right. <laughs> um, I mean, that instantly but, uh, makes you the favorite teacher. <laughs> there were a lot of great teachers. I won't, uh, I won't make that claim, but yeah. I, I oh, imagine, so. fuck that. You instantly <laughs> were the favorite teacher. You're skydiving into the school. You're the favorite teacher. There's no doubt. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I, uh, yeah, definitely. It was a fun phase. I never really got any backlash, but again, it was always in my mind that I could really paint a bad picture for myself. Mm. If I didn't handle it or promote it, share it reasonably. Sure. Um, so I was careful about how I presented myself. And um, no, uh, I think people were mostly interested or thought it was cool at the time. Now, when did the transition happen um, out of teaching and into full-time air sports? Dubai. Um, at that point, I was uh, only willing to work in skydiving with my summers off when I was a school teacher. Um, and then um, <clears throat> I got a job offer in Dubai. And uh, thank you, Brad and Jenny Cole. Um, they uh, got in touch with me saying, hey, we need tandem instructors. We love you. Come on out. Um, and I was like, I don't think I can do it. I got this career. I should probably focus on my career. And then I found out it, yeah, it was over to Palm Island and paid more than my teaching job. And it was like, hmm, all right, let's, maybe you should consider this. And that was it. I went out to Dubai um, and was probably the least experienced, no, definitely the least experienced skydiver um, there um absolutely loved it loved uh yeah i was just excited to be there and like doing what i was doing it was just really kind of a dream i appreciated every moment everyone i worked with had a blast and uh yeah i gave up teaching then for a little while i thought i'd go back i'm like all right you know maybe play with this lifestyle for a couple of years but uh one thing led to another and just uh the opportunities every time i thought i was going to walk away from skydiving or base jumping a new opportunity that i just couldn't turn down um presented itself and here i am sure well i mean dubai changed the orbit of a lot of people right uh, it did the same thing Man. for me Man. i was i was yeah. an airline pilot shit i just got upgraded to captain uh and just on a whim sent a message to a facebook friend who wanted to be in the airlines and i was kind of burned out on it and turned down my captain upgrade to go fly to dubai after i had done the calculations to figure out what the fuck a durham was and how much money it meant <laughs> <laughs> yeah i remember that yep. yeah man i think i did the calculation yep. like three times and went oh shit okay i guess i'm not going to be an airline captain <laughs> yeah I, I don't think i made quite that much but definitely like an elementary school teacher salary uh, versus what was going on out there at that time. Um, I was living in a basement apartment, living paycheck to paycheck as a school teacher. And then I was on a 
the 66th floor of a, an apartment over the Palm Island. And I was like, right. I think I made the right call. Yeah, <laughs> man. I mean, I've got a, my sister has been a school teacher for, I want to say 30 plus years. And as uh, she's, uh, I think a year away from retirement and I've watched her fight for her living the entire time she's had this career in a career that should have taken very good care of her. Cause I mean, fuck people are giving you their kids to like mold and aim in a proper direction. And if you don't take care of your teachers, oh man, you know, so to watch her struggle, I I can't believe anybody wants to be a teacher these days. It has to be kind of a passion thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I love teaching. I really did in terms of working with the kids and actually like teachable moments, but all the other nonsense that's involved, the salary, the parents, the, the government, it's not worth anybody's time, unfortunately, sure. aside from, the fact that you are impressioning and molding minds. <laughs> sure. Well, but I mean, if you think about it, though, you really haven't strayed that far from that profession because your entire life has been about teaching to one degree or another outside of your passion to fulfill for yourself. You've taken on teaching in skydiving and base jumping avidly. So I totally agree with you. Um, I think it's something that has helped me excel in a number of ways from teaching, but uh, I've also kind of um figured out how to um kind of orchestrate a number of events and uh just deal with like jumpers and the normal people especially i guess i'm mostly talking about like base jumping in moab and uh try to figure out how to uh be the connection in a reasonable way you know right. so we don't just look like a bunch of maniacs and get chased out of town sure uh at least that's my impression of how, how i've been but yeah it's uh um you're right i haven't strayed that far apart i uh, i think it helps me interact with students i think it helps me uh run events and uh yeah well now you've been into base jumping for quite some time now so obviously you're at the forefront of a sport that has slowly been working its way towards legitimacy uh throughout your lifetime in that sport but it's been quite a transition right i mean much more so than skydiving which has been fringe but not i mean it was always somewhat acceptable uh, and then, of course, the tandem uh, phenomenon turned into an everyday thing. And now skydiving is as mainstream as Coca-Cola, really. Uh, but base jumping obviously has fought for many years. And it's finally getting to the point through social media, uh, primarily, I would think, to be uh, more um, more visual, for sure. More, more stand, It stands out much, much more and seems to be a lot more accepted. But do you feel that way? Yeah, I do. Um, like I said, when I started skydiving, um, I, people pretty much didn't know what base jumping was. Um, uh, but now, yeah, I mean, everyone's seen a everyone's seen a base jump, right? Um, everyone's seen a wingsuit fly down a mountain. Um, yeah, I think uh, social media, GoPros, and wingsuits have, you know, put base jumping on everyone's radar. Whether it's legitimate or um, not I, is another question. Um, yeah, I, I, we'll see, we'll see where it's going. I think certain areas it's really doing great and other areas, um, it's just as uh, renegade as it ever was. Sure. Well, I mean, um, it's, it's tough to shed that, um, that black market feel to it when the whole sport basically got started illegally, you know, I mean, illegal base jumps in town, illegal base jumps off cliffs. Um, I don't remember what year it was when they tried, they did the, uh, the protest of uh, uh, El Cap being illegal and had the fatality mm -hmm. during the protest. 
that yeah. didn't didn't do any favors Not to a the, good luck. no you know really didn't do any favors to the community um but it's changed so dramatically now and your venture and what you've got going on now is a huge testament to that and granted there are some states where it's it's um, frowned upon in some states where it's not, but you've taken a step in a direction that, quite frankly, 10 years ago, I never would have imagined. So I really want to hear about what you've got going on now. Cool. Um, well, I should start by uh, kind of nodding my head and tipping my hat to some of the people that, um, you know, opened my eyes to what I'm doing now. And that actually did happen 12 years ago. And that was uh, Mario Richard and Sean Schuma. Um, and, uh, so it has been tandem base jumping hat is something that's been around for a decade plus now. Um, it's been less on the radar than it is right now and kind of what I'm doing with it. But, um, yeah, it, it's really incredible. I remember seeing my first tandem base jump. It was, um, Sean Schuma and then, uh, Mario Richard did them in, uh, Moab here. And I remember thinking like, wow, I will never be qualified for that. I'm not going to be experienced enough for that. That's incredible. These guys are the guys. I, I admired the way they carried themselves. I admired, I admired their backgrounds and uh, just really looked up to it. Um, so having role models like that kind of showed me the path that I wanted to go on. <laughs> By no means to imply I've been perfect, but I knew I wanted to be completely qualified to be a candidate for tandem base jumping. So I I knew there was no way to uh, reach that milestone except for make a shit ton of base jumps and make a shit ton of uh, tandem skydives. And that's what I did. Um, so yeah, now here I am, fast forward. Um, I've been working on this since, I guess I really kind of got serious about it in 2014. Um, I started finding out how to get insurance for this. I am a permitted insured business. Um, so I figured out the insurance aspect. A little bit of time went by, started working with uh, the local governing body in Moab, Bureau of Land Management, figuring out some of the rules and how it would work. And uh, then I saw the um, tourist industry boom here in Moab. And um, I uh, had rigs out here kind of getting ready to do this in 2017. Um, then I started working for Squirrel for a while and pursuing some other work, got married, life kind of uh, started to take me another path. And uh, the last few years, a few years has been crazy for um, everyone. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so a couple things happened and basically I was like, hey, stay who true to you, stay true to who you are and your mm. vision and like this just makes sense. Um, so I told Katie, I was like, hey, you know, I was thinking about doing tandem base jumping. Like, I think I need to do it. Like, we own a house in Moab. I'm, I have to be one of the people that's qualified. And um, she's like, I support you. So um, talk to Sean Schuma, who I consider like the OG of tandem base. There's a couple, there's a handful of names that, you know, had done them, survived them, been involved early on. But Sean's the one that uh, just, you know, said, Hey, this is going to be a thing. Mm. And, uh, he and I have worked together and been really close for many, many, many years. And he's like, heck yeah, man, I'll take you under my wing. So I went up, spent some time with him. Uh, we focused on everything he's learned over the last decade. Um, and then I took it all to Moab and, uh, have kind of, uh, been really proud of the way I'm presenting it and, uh, what we're doing with it. And I'm super excited. 
I mean, was there ever a time before this that you would have thought, oh yeah, there'll they'll eventually be a time when insurance companies will insure a tandem base operation? Um, no, without any knowledge, it's the most ridiculous thing on the planet, right? Like yes. just like trying to think about insuring base jumping. It's like, uh, yeah, how do you do that? Then you're like, wait, insuring tandem base jumping seems pretty wild. <laughs> But having gone down these uh, uh, that path for a while, basically what I found is that there are companies that just insure things that you can't find insurance for. So you approach them with this idea and they're like, uh, question mark. And then you have to present a bunch of information and um, you kind of go back and forth and um, they come up with a number and yeah. So you're sitting down and you're getting ready to plan this business out because base jumping for so long was all renegade. You know, you're just getting away with it. Even places where it was legal to base jump, uh, it's always had people looking down their nose at it. And now you're having to not only present this business to insurance companies, but you're having to to get the ability to open the business in, in Moab as well. So what kind of safety stuff? That's obviously all anybody wants to hear about. Um, so what kind of safety stuff did you have to put in line and how much documentation did you have to present to these people to go, look, I can do this safely. It's not going to be a stain on Moab's reputation. No, no pun intended there. It's, yeah. it's just going to be a, a wonderful addition to the area. You know, um, you might be surprised. <laughs> um, <laughs> so <laughs> um, we felt that everything was done over the last 13 plus years of pretty much just having this in mind uh, made it very easy for us. Mm. Um, we've got a background in everything base jumping, uh, rescue the area. Uh, we've got medical training. Um, so we were like super strong candidates when we approached them. They were like, heck yeah, we definitely want you guys involved in this. We operate on Bureau of Land Management. It's basically um, the governing body to open space that doesn't really belong to anyone aside for American people. Um, So the rules are pretty minimal out there. Um, Basically, you can't profit off the land without a permit and you can't do anything to damage the land um, or kind of mess it up. So um, as long as we were operating within the the rules that they they permit, um, which we are, all we're doing is, you know, hiking and in the words of Rob Stanley, borrowing some gravity. And um, yeah, we, yeah, it, it was like anything else, if you're willing to go through the bureaucratic process, there's a way, but um, you just have to kind of put your head down and do it. Sure. Well, the BLM is is notorious for being a little bit looser with stuff like that, for sure. Much yep. more so than obviously the National Parks Department. That Absolutely. That's a total total of the beast. Yeah. yeah. I've, uh, I think I'm one of a handful of people that have spent actual time working to get uh, permitted jumps in the national parks. And um, <laughs> a decade later, I've, I've had some handshakes and that's about as much success as I've had. I was gonna say, do you see, do you envision a future in where the national parks are more accepting of, of base jumping? Yes, I'm not giving up on that dream for sure. Um, and yeah, every, every couple of years, something pops up over my radar that um, keeps the dream alive and keeps me optimistic. Um, Yep, that's where I'll leave it. Yeah, we're definitely excited about uh, at some point, some way, working with the national parks. I think it's, I, I don't see any reason that we can't 
jump in national parks their sure. slogan is recreation for everyone so sure well it always seems so strange <laughs> to me i mean I uh, being born and raised in northern california and spending all my time uh, you know a few hours drive from yosemite and and then of course getting into skydiving and working in davis um, I became friends with a lot of uh, climbers, turn base jumpers, and uh, uh, Ammon yep. McNeely, who you and I were talking about uh, uh, through text, um, becoming friends with all these guys. And it always seems so bizarre to me that you can legally climb that rock and you can legally climb it without a rope and you can fall off of it and it's completely legal. But if you fall off of it with a parachute, it's illegal. And it never made any sense to me. And Dean Potter really highlighted how ridiculous it was when he started doing his freebasing. And for anybody that doesn't know, he'd climb free solo with a base rig on. And if he fell off, he'd use the parachute, which is fucking genius. <laughs> it's totally genius. It's so, wild. It was beautiful. I mean, what a thing. Yeah, oh, yeah. Guy. Oh, it was fucking amazing. And it just, it always cracked me up that by the letter of the law, if he fell off and died, it was legal. But if he saved his own life, it was illegal. <laughs> That's your government looking out for you. Yeah. It's just so fucking ridiculous. <laughs> Freest so country ridiculous. in the world. So tell me specifically, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening that uh, want to know specifically about uh, a tandem-based Moab. So how do they how do they follow what's going on? How do they um, obviously book a tandem base jump with you guys? Where are they going? What can they expect when they uh, when they set this up? All right, cool. So uh, where to follow us? Um, so far, our best uh, outreach has been Instagram. Uh, it's at tandem base Moab. Um, in just a handful of months, we've had a number of viral videos and uh, tons of support. So we appreciate everyone for kind of enjoying our videos and uh, sharing them. Mm. Um, yeah, check it out. We've got a webpage, tandembasemoab.com. Uh, enough of all that. Uh, basically, what I do is have uh, tourists or clients from all over the world. We've had someone from New York City. We currently have someone traveling from Australia. We've got people from all over the world coming. So cool to be a part of. Um, here's the deal. I like to work with people that n know what they're getting into. I don't like to trick people and be like, oh, this is an amusement ride. It's a bit more than an amusement ride. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're going <laughs> to, we're going to take you out into somewhere super, super beautiful, uh, show you a great time in the outdoors. And then you're going to find yourself standing on the edge of a cliff, um, with every bit of your survival instinct telling you, Hey, this is wrong this is wrong and um again that background that i have um i know how to help you through that moment um and why would you not listen to your survival instinct it's because operating through that moment is like one of the most beautiful empowering uh, empowering liberating things you'll ever experience um and you're going to do it all in one of the most beautiful places on the planet um, so again, I'm upfront about what we're doing. We're base jumping. We're tandem base jumping. It's going to be wild. It's going to be an experience like none other. I do ask that uh, all clients are 18 plus. I don't work with uh, kids. I think it's, yeah, I think, yeah. That's I don't good. think they know what they're bringing to the table when they're uh, considering a base jump. I know it looks awesome, but when you are <laughs> allowed to make those decisions, come talk to me. Uh, clients have to be 200 pounds or less. Um, we're operating, we definitely take and take people bigger than that. But um, right now, we're just trying to keep everything as safe as possible and uh, stack 
all the cards in our favor kind of thing. Um, yeah, that's I, kind of what came to mind. I've I've watched uh, um, a number of your videos, and every time I watch it, uh, I'm like, even now sitting in the chair interviewing you, I'm sucking cushion up my ass because it puckers me <laughs> up so much. Because um, I yes. remember my first tandem, and I even better than that, I remember the first time I had to ride up front for a tandem instructor uh, candidate, and was absolutely terrified um and i can't imagine with a skydive there's very little perspective you know you're at the door and the ground is so damn far away that it's tough to wrap your head around but standing on the edge of a cliff that's next level that's the the view that you've got beside being beautiful gives you a perspective that skydiving never does which is yep the ground's right fucking there <laughs> Yeah, you got it. And that is, uh, that's the big difference. I think you said it really well. Um, everyone likes to compare like, oh, skydiving is better. It lasts longer. We go faster. Um, and other people are like, no, base jumping. It's more in your face. It's more visual. It's like, mm. it, it really puts you in the moment even more than skydiving. I don't think there needs to be one is better. You know, I, I think they're both awesome. What I'll sure. say is they are not the same. You know, they're sister sports and that they, we both use parachutes, but the experience is different um, sure. so just because you've been skydiving don't look at this and say ah what i did was cooler and just because you've done a base jump don't look at skydiving and be like oh that's nothing you know I, I i did it with my toes in the edge of a the cliff they're both awesome there's a lot of ways to have fun it's not a competition um yeah it's yeah there's that student experience being but um having done a you know ten thousand tandem skydives and i'm i know you're you've probably got even more than that um it's one of the coolest things to be a part of. I know there's like kind of a golden point with tandem skydiving where you're like, you love it. It's the coolest thing in the world to share. Yep. And then most sky, uh, skydivers kind of at a certain point, you're like, okay, I've done enough of this. <laughs> I can't ever imagine that being true with tandem base jumping. It just takes so much hyper-focus. You can't really go on cruise control like you can on a skydive. You know, you have to be completely, totally in the moment for what's going on in the environment, your gear. But that student, that student is... You know, like we have a fraction of a second as a tandem skydiving instructor um, to kind of hear what they're saying, what they're going through. And then you're just kind of like, whatever, drugs, right. I'm good. You know, um, no, it, it's it's an incredible, incredible, like in the moment, it, it's just wildly awesome to be a part of that student experience on a tandem base jump. It's interesting, man. Like as much as I can sit here and talk about it, like I love it. I also realize it's super polarizing, um, especially within the community, right? Like I've seen a number of base jumpers and skydivers that are like, hey, stop this. Don't do this. This is, you know, this isn't what it's about. And at the end of the day, we're skydivers and base jumpers. Like none of us are going to listen to anyone else. Like if I'm confident in what I'm doing, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Your words on the sure. internet aren't going to change me. Sure. Um, but it's definitely, I, I see both I open-minded and uh, intelligent enough to hear all sides. But um, yeah, it's definitely a wild thing and a wild time to be a part of it, man. I just feel fortunate. Sure. You know, it's kind of funny because I've waffled back and forth on my opinion, not just of base jumping, but especially of tandem base. And I would have said um, that I would go back and forth between positive and negative a number of times until I saw someone that I knew was 
very much invested in themselves, in a life for themselves, and in the safety aspect of everything. And that's you watching you go out and start this. Uh, and honestly, watching the the progression via the social media uh, aspect of things that you've put out there, my opinions changed quite a bit. I'm still never going to be a base jumper. Um, I decided a long, long time ago that base jumping was a step too far for me, probably because I know I'd love it and I'd fucking get into it too goddamn much. Um, tandem base, I was vehemently opposed to and then kind of opposed to and then I didn't really think too much of it. And then I watched everything that you were doing in this slow progression that I saw. And then, of course, the reaction by the students which at the end of the day is what you're doing it for. And it really did change my opinion. Uh, watching these students standing at the edge of the cliff with the, the very kind words being given behind them at a level so much above what you have to do in skydiving was really a, oh, they're not fucking around. They're not just you know strapping a harness onto somebody and running off the side of a cliff. This is extremely well thought out. This person in front of them is making this decision 100. They are 100% there. And who am I to say that two adults can't go out and do something absolutely badass? It really did change my opinion. I appreciate that, man. It's a, uh, yeah, I just, like I said, man, I feel fortunate to be one of the guys in the place to do it in a way that I'm proud of. And, um, it, and like I said, it started it is what it is for me and the way I'm doing it because I didn't cut corners. Sure. Um, again, not, not sitting here trying to uh, claim that I'm perfect or my, my path is perfect. Um, what I'm saying is that, um, yeah, I, I put every bit of thought training uh, and, and everything else into this as, as possible. And uh, I'm upfront about what I'm doing and what it is. And I feel like i yeah, I, I feel sure. like my background has pre prepared me perfectly to do what I'm doing. And I sure. I just feel so fortunate to like share that moment with people, man. Sure. It's even cooler than like I knew what I was getting into, but with the success we've had and the moments we share, the videos we've made, it is so much more uh just enjoyable and like something I'm proud of that sure. I can even put the words. Well, you've got to be dramatically more bonded to your students in something like this than you are in a skydive. I mean, the, of the thousands of skydives that I've taken people on, I remember a handful. Uh, and they were yeah. the, you know, they, they were the standout students that were terrified or they were the ones where something didn't go so right or the, you know, the odd, absolutely perfect one. But the majority of the students... I wouldn't remember them the next day, um, but yep. with tandem bass, it's so much more involved um, that you really do have to bond with your students quite a bit more, which has got to be really cool. Yeah, super cool. Yep. Um, yeah, the whole process of uh, getting to know them and taking them from, I mean, they may never have seen a parachute before, a cliff before, have, have done a hike before, uh, to, yeah, very much in the heart of all of it. And then they kind of have their, their uh, moment, you know, sure. like, Hey, what does this mean to me? And it, that moment really isn't about my involvement in any way. It's kind right. of like they assess, they assess the moment and the reality of what's going on and they make a decision. I'm, you know, they make a decision. Are we doing this? Or are we not? I'm not going to force someone sure. off a cliff. Uh, I'm not going to force someone out of an airplane either, but I'd be a lot more prone to do it out of an airplane <laughs> than I would off a cliff. I'll say it that way. Sure. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, once they make that decision and, you know, 
cards are on the table and it's like, hey, we're doing this. It's, uh, yeah, and then you have them standing in the landing area, just extremely proud, crying, pounding their chest. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, man, there's, there's nothing you could do, but just well, appreciate sharing that moment. I mean, I used to say it as a tandem instructor that uh, um, there's a big difference between someone saying no and moving towards the door and saying no and grabbing seatbelts and pushing their way back into the plane. Um, there's exactly. a vast difference, right? But when you're totally. standing on the edge of the cliff, there's even less of that because yep. you can't you can't leave that cliff unstable. I can leave an airplane unstable and I'm going to be just fine. And the only thing that a fucked up student does is make me work a little bit harder on a tandem skydive. Uh-huh. But on a tandem yep. base jump, you've got to you know you have to learn your students inside and out. And it's a it was really amazing to watch those first few videos that came out and go, oh, I get it. That person's. Yes, they're making a tandem base jump, but at the end of the day, the instructor is just another part of the rig. They're the ones making the jump, yep. which is pretty awesome. Yep. Yeah, it's um in, in yeah when you break it down to what we're actually doing, it's pretty simple. Yep. Um, it's really just that commitment and a few very very simple movements. The way I, I break everything down very simply for clients when we're on the cliff and say, hey, I'm gonna explain this to you like I'm talking to a child and please don't be insulted. The reason I'm doing this is because when we get to that cliff edge, you're gonna understand why I was talking to you like a child. <laughs> Everything's gonna go out the window and um, there's really only a few very basic things I need you to know and then we go through it a few times. And um, oh. yeah, that, that's it. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna force anyone off a cliff that doesn't want to. Sure. That's, that's not what I do. Uh, that's not enjoyable for client or guide. Um, so yeah, I do it in a way I'm proud of, and we do it as a team. We talk about the biggest things are like figuring out how to move as a unit, a team move in unison and communication. Mm. You know, um, once you're, as all tandem instructors know, once you're in someone's personal space and attached and, you know, um, harnessed down, uh, you are a team you're moving. So, uh, we kind of practice how to move as a unit and, uh, just the most basic levels of communication. Sure, sure. I'll tell you what, man, again, watching the videos and then talking to you, it almost, almost makes me want to do it. <laughs> it's not going to happen. I'm past my prime like on that. But yeah. I, I, I get yeah. to be a huge fan and a voyeur of it all, which to me is almost kind of more fun because I never get to that, that, <laughs> that actual moment. I just keep extending it. <laughs> it's amazing, man. Uh, I would love to think that everyone that follows our Instagram is like, yep, I'm going to do it. But that's not the case. I think most of them are much like you. They see it and they're like, what the heck is this? And they, they like to be a voyeur. They like to see people go through that emotional space of like people (laughs) pretty much not making sense with their words anymore to the most euphoric and prideful they've ever been. Um, So yeah, I, I think it's super fun to watch. And in fact, like I love doing it, but there's no doubt that I've watched a number of our videos <laughs> any number of times just because it really has brought out some beautiful moments. Sure. Well, and I think too, especially for people, uh, uh, skydivers um, specifically, but anybody that's done anything that they've considered difficult to do or extreme, we know what it's like to try and push through that fear to get to the other side and how rewarding it can be. And it's also 
hilarious when you pull up a video watching actors break character, right? It's just, it's very easy to fall into the joy or the embarrassment or the fear that someone is dealing with. And then 180 degrees later, less than two minutes later, when they're standing on the landing area, just trying to wrap their head around what's just happened. And it's a beautiful thing to watch. And it's a very easy thing to step into the shoes of. You know, I, I can stand there and go, I know exactly what that student's feeling because I've felt my own version of that a thousand times. Uh, so it's a beautiful thing to watch. It really is. Yeah, agreed. That's one of the reasons I try not to talk much about the video uh, with clients because it's just like kind of a distraction. Sure. But what I found also is I've told, I tell clients to, if you're thinking it, say it, think out loud. We, uh, when people watch a video, it's far more relatable when you just say, oh my fucking God, I'm gonna shit my pants. Then when you think it and your face, your eyes are this big and you're twitching and like, they're like, just say it. Like they know what you're thinking. But yeah. when you eat, it's kind of look like you're having a medical condition when you bottle it up. So I've been coaching people to think out loud. Sure. Well, and vocalizing makes uh, shit easier to deal with, right? You say it and you've put it out there in the open and it's a lot easier to cope with than when you keep it to yourself. Um, at least for me personally, if I say I'm fucking scared, I can cope with it much better than just holding it in and trying to act like I'm cool. Yep. It gives you the chance to kind of process the emotion and like the reality and figure out like, how am I going to deal with this? It also is a way of them sending that message back to me, letting them know while letting me know where they're actually at. Um, Because again, if they just bottle it up and I don't know, they're like redlining right now about to pass out. um, You know, it's a lot easier when I know what's going through their head. Oh yeah, Uh, undoubtedly, undoubtedly. I'll tell you what, man, I'm I'm thrilled to continue to watch this journey and I'm really stoked that you've been able to get things going. I want you one more time as we wrap things up, um, Katie's husband and Will's brother to to put out the uh, how people uh, can get a hold of Tandem Based Moab, how they can book, where they can go online to follow it, even if they just want to watch the videos. Yeah, um, definitely try to find us directly. That's um, at Tandem Base Moab um, on Instagram and uh, tandembasemoab.com is our webpage where you can find any number of uh, questions that you might have you can find the answers to. Um, otherwise, email me at tandembasemoab at gmail.com. Um, we communicate with everyone a ton, whether you're trying to jump or not. We're happy to answer questions, help you plan and uh, help you figure out if this is something you want to actually do or not. Awesome. Matt, I'll tell you what, man, I cannot thank you enough for taking a little time this morning to sit down and talk with me. I can't wait to continue to follow the adventures. Give the wife a big hug. Say hello to your yoga bendy brother. And again, (laughs) thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, man. I appreciate the opportunity. Take care, bro. See you. And there you have it. Another episode of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void brought to you as always by, and say it with me, fuck yeah, NZ Aerosports. Head to nzaerosports.com. By Pussfoot. That's right, head to Pussfoot.com, the extreme sports collective, and check out everything they've got to offer. By SummitParachuteSystems.com. Jarrett Martin and the family cranking out amazing pilot rigs, as well as incredible rigging courses. And now joining the Lunatic team, it's the one and only Tony Suits. You know them, you love them. Head to TonySuit.com. Check out all the amazing standards, as well as the new incredible signature line they've got going on. And as for us, the Lunatic Fringe is now 
now on YouTube. That's right, you're going to have the chance to put faces to the audio by heading to YouTube.com and looking up the Lunatic Fringe podcast. It's easy. Hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, check out all the amazing videos from the previous guests that we've had, as well as new and upcoming interviews on video. As always, I am the fucking pilot. Head to thefuckingpilot.net or theprincesspilot.com. Thanks for joining. We'll see you next time around. Damn. <laughs>